Hi, and welcome to Deer IQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, untastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for, to be truly greater deer hunters. We're starting the series to be in a deer's head, dissecting the needs, motivations, and leveraging these to predict the whitetail future to really up our odds as hunters. Today we're with friend Nathan Acker to take a basic look at what motivates deer and how we should use this to drive our decisions. If you're a beginner hunter or just starting to hunt public land, you'll really benefit from this, but I think every listener will. As we start, I want to challenge you to do a couple things. First, download our free journal to use with this podcast that's really going to help. Second, as you use that, here are the top look-fors or things to look for during this episode. What is the most important question you must ask yourself as a hunter? What are the needs and motivations of deer? Is this in a hierarchy? And is it different on private versus public land? And what is a trap that many young hunters and novice public land hunters fall into? And I have a challenge at the end that I believe will truly take your hunting skills up several notches, so make sure to stay tuned and listen for that. And now, let's get to the podcast and up your deer IQ. All right, I'm here with Nathan Acker. Nathan, welcome to the Deer IQ podcast. Yeah, thanks, Adam. We are talking today uh, about a topic I think is really important to talk about. We are in uh, the series to be in a deer's head. And I think that's the ultimate goal uh, as hunters, if we can figure that out, if we can really get in a deer's head uh, as to what they're thinking, their needs and motivations, then that's really going to help me out as a hunter, right? Um, and we try to make guesses at it and stuff, but uh, how do we get there, right? And so we're going to have a basic talk about this. And um, this, I think, will apply to all hunters. It, it might come off a little basic at first. Uh, and I think a lot of hunters need that, uh, that are just starting hunting or maybe younger hunters, uh, but also more experienced hunters. Even me, sometimes I have to stop and check myself and really uh, analyze what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So I think this is going to be a good talk here with Nate today. Nate is a guy that probably most people won't know. He's not TikTok famous as far as I know. Um, he doesn't have a YouTube channel either, unless he has some off one that I don't know Zero about. Zero social media presence. Yeah. So, uh, but Nate and I know each other. We're friends. We've hunted together. I've uh, helped him drag a buck out of a wood, the woods last year. Um, and so we had this conversation actually a while back that kind of spawned this. So, uh, Nate, tell us a little bit to start so people have an idea about you and your hunting background and I guess where you hunt too, I think that's real important for people to put in perspective when we're talking about things. So just tell us a little bit about you and your background and where you hunt and uh, kind of your experience here to start. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so I I really grew up hunting. Um, my whole family hunted. Um, so we really grew up, my, my dad, my brother, my grandpas, my cousins, my uncles. Um, hunting for us was always a family thing and so we grew up hunting everything from rabbits and squirrels to pheasants and grouse and and obviously deer as well um a lot of that was on on public land um i I remember i shot my first deer when i was 13 years old um, with an old browning compound bow 
um, sitting on a wood stump in the woods. It was, you know, pretty, uh, pretty raw. But from that point forward, um, I really started to fall in love with bow hunting in particular. Um, I grew up in Michigan um, hunting, so almost 90% of my hunting, I would say, has been done in Michigan, um, especially through the earlier years, um, and probably a vast majority of that on public land. Um, though we did hunt a few um, farms as well that we had permission while we were growing up to hunt. Um, and then when I was about 19 years old, um, my dad took my brother and I out to Wyoming, and that was kind of my first taste of Western hunting. Um, so we went out to Wyoming for mule deer. Um, there was a whole group of us. I think there was 16 or 17 of us total. Uh, my whole mom's side of the family, uh, aunts or aunts, uncles, my grandpa. Um, so it was quite the deer camp. Um, my brother and I were fortunate enough to tag little four corn mule deer out there. Um, so that was really my first taste of Western hunting and absolutely loved it. And a couple years later, we were able to um, return that favor to my dad. We took my dad back to Wyoming. Um, my brother and I did on an antelope hunt. And so we were fortunate there again to all tag an antelope. Um, and really those early experiences for me kind of created a love for Western hunting as well. And so since that point in time, I've tried to get back out there as much as I can. So you try to get a trip every year, every other year back out there, um, anything from mule deer to antelope to elk. Um, but as I said before, a bulk of my hunting um, has been in Michigan for, for whitetails. So really, I, I credit a lot of my uh, learnings and experience um, to some of the public land that I hunted younger, when I was younger, and really just the struggles I had trying to figure that out. Um, a lot of tough hunts, a lot of tough lessons. Um, but really through those types of experiences, I, I feel like I really developed um, as a hunter through some of those difficult challenges that I've then been able to apply to um, my hunting now, as well as some of the out-of-state hunts that we've been on. Um, and then in recent years, um, I have three boys, um, 13, 10, and 8 years old. Um, so I started to really transition to taking them out hunting. And so I spent a lot of the fall with them in the tree stand, um, passing on the things that I've learned and, and just enjoying watching them harvest deer, um, which is by far more rewarding than, than you know, any animal that I've taken. So, yeah, so that's a bit of uh, my background and, and kind of what I've done. Yeah, and I think there's a few things to point out there that people can gloss over. Um, even in just describing that. So uh, first of all, I think it's important for guys, and I was just talking to someone today about this, that whenever you listen to a podcast or someone on YouTube or see someone on TV, it's really important to understand the conditions they're hunting in and the suggestions they're giving or what's working for them in that condition, in that environment, compared to where you actually hunt. And so you, you kind of have to do that when you're even this podcast or whatever, think about where you're hunting compared to where they're hunting and how those two jive and how you can take that um, and apply it to your situation. Because sometimes they do real well and sometimes they do not uh, apply real well depending on those situations. Like someone's hunting very pressured public, that's different than unpressured private in a low pressure state in general. Uh, 
things are a little different with that. And so you have to kind of understand that. So wanted to point that out. But yeah, the idea of public land hunting, and we both share that. We've hunted the, the same areas as well um, in Michigan. And uh, just how much you actually learn from that and hunting in tough situations, right? It really teaches you some things that uh, you won't necessarily learn in more manicured environments, right? Like when I would hunt private land. So public land really can put you through the ringer. It can be a really good school. And then the last thing they're teaching your kids, it, some, there's something about teaching someone else. And I am a teacher uh, when you are forced to teach somebody something, it really makes you understand it, right? Like you can go through the Absolutely. motions and, and do something, but when you start teaching other people it, all of a sudden it really makes you know it or con- makes you confront things about it that maybe you don't understand totally. So I think those are good keys to point out, but a, a lot of public land experience um, and so as we talk about the needs and motivations of deer, uh, getting in a deer's head, let's start there. So first question for someone that's new to hunting or maybe someone who struggles to predict deer movements, uh, goes out hunting, has a hard time, you know, aren't seeing deer, or it's hard to figure out what the deer are doing maybe. Uh, why is it important to understand the needs and motivations of deer? And can you talk about those some and maybe with some of your experiences? Yeah, so I think, you know, anytime you go out hunting, really the, the first question you ask yourself is where you're going to go sit. And so when you start breaking down why you sit in a certain spot, um, you really start to ask yourself these types of questions like, So I'm trying to, especially as a bow hunter, I'm trying to go out in the woods. I pick a certain tree and I'm looking for a deer to walk between 20 and 30 yards of that tree. And while coming to that tree, I have to not spook that deer and that deer has to not smell me for all those things to come together for me to get a shot at a a deer. And so when you start thinking about, you know, where I'm going to sit, Um, You have to really start getting into, you know, where is the deer going to be walking? Why is he going to be walking through here? Where is he coming from? Where is he going? And so the more you understand why deer do what they do, the better off you're going to be at predicting where they're going to be and then hence setting up and, and hunting in the right spot, which increases your chances of one walking by you. In daylight, right? In, in daylight, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I say that is kind of funny because uh, a lot of sign we see, you know, people get fooled a lot by sign that may or may not have been made in, in daylight, right? And that's mm-hmm. a whole, I think, different issue. But um, so let's talk more about these, the needs. So what are the, the needs of deer that you focus on? Uh, is there a hierarchy as far as importance that you've found or not? You know, if, again, if you're teaching a kid or reminding somebody like, hey, you know, this is why we're doing this. And I think why is a huge question. We'll get into that more in a second. But uh, what are these needs and motivations that you think hunters should key in on? I think um, just very basic, like 
food and water and and cover for them to hide and bed in um, and then an understanding of a deer's natural movement from bedding to food um, so they're bedding during the day moving towards food in the evening and then in the morning they're returning from wherever they're feeding back to that bedding area and so as you start to you know to look at a piece of property you might be hunting that's kind of the first things I'll look at is where do I think they're feeding and where do I think they're bedding and then if uh, you know as you start to break that down further then you start to get into looking for signs so you're looking for trails you're looking for tracks you're looking for droppings um, that would essentially confirm your thoughts of yes they are moving from here to there and they're moving through these areas um, and then you can break that down further and you start looking at terrain features um, and ridges and in pinch points and funnels that will narrow down the deer movement and so you're trying to find a either based on the wind um, might force you to hunt a particular spot um, but you really at least me I, i'm looking for like multiple intersections of of these things that just increases my chance that a deer is going to move through here so anything that's going to funnel the deer down um, force them into a narrower spot is going to be a, a spot that i would target and then if I, I see that spot and it has deer sign in it and it's in between some bedding and some food, then, then that would be a spot that I would I'd really consider setting up on. Um, so you mentioned food, water, cover, uh, and there's also throw in there, you know, breeding certain time of year, right? And For how sure. that uh, yeah. can kind of throw everything out of, I think, order. Would you say there's a certain order there that you look to in uh, – Again, we can specifically maybe mention private versus public because we both had experience there. Again, in Michigan, which uh, for those that don't know, is fairly high pressure state. Mm -hmm. There's can be a big difference between private and public. Sometimes private can be oh, yeah. high pressure too, but it's typically less. Um, so, yeah, can you talk to that a little bit more? Hi, this is Adam Lewis with DRIQ.com and this is your High IQ Moment. Ever wonder why your hunts are not productive? Well, I believe the second reason is many hunters have a tendency to romanticize a stand or location. Maybe it's a spot they shot the big one several years ago and so they keep hunting it out of an emotional attachment, but in reality, maybe it's not hot currently. Maybe the reason is a certain stand is easy to hunt and, well, laziness has taken over. Living in the past or failure to identify when a spot is hot or not is a big fail for many hunters. So properly evaluate current odds of intercepting that deer you want at your stand location and hunt accordingly. Don't romanticize a spot that's just showing you it's not worth hunting there now. Check out the full article and all four things that are killing your productivity for hunting linked below along with our free deer IQ journal to help you become a greater deer hunter and let you follow along with the podcast. And do you know your deer IQ? Take the fun test we have linked and share it with a buddy. It'll tell you and you might be surprised. And now let's get back to the podcast. Would you say there's a certain order there that you look to? And again, we can specifically maybe mention private versus public because we both had experience there again in michigan which uh 
for those that don't know, is fairly high pressure state. Mm-hmm. There's can be a big difference between private and public. Sometimes private can be oh, yeah. high pressure too, but it's typically less. Um, so yeah, can you talk to that a little bit more? Um, yeah, so I, I think the main difference that the way I approach it. So if I, I'm looking at state land, I'm going to be hunting state land. My focus is going to be more on the, the thick bedding cover than on the food. Um, in my experience, I've seen deer travel quite a distance from state land and, and sometimes off the state land onto neighboring farmland um, to feed. And so with the added pressure on state land, I've felt that targeting those thick areas um, has produced more deer sightings and, and resulted in more deer harvested. Um, when it comes to private land, my experience is that deer don't tend to bed as far away from the food as they do on, on public land. And so I'm usually setting up a little closer to the food source than I would if I was hunting on public land. And I think the main factor there is just the, the amount of pressure that those deer are seeing, um, which drives them back into the thicker cover and away from where they're getting that human pressure and that human contact. Yeah, what, um, if you could rank these then, so you're saying on public land, you'd rank cover is probably being the most important thing. Yeah. And then beyond that, I guess, food and then uh, the other needs beyond that. Because really, if you think about it, deer don't, deer can get food where they're bedding usually. Right. But they don't need, they don't really need to move in daylight most of the time if they don't want to or don't feel safe enough to. So uh, in public land, that can be a crucial factor is in where people can get really messed up. And maybe we can both share a couple stories about this, but a younger hunter or an experienced hunter, or maybe someone going from private experience to public might kind of uh, fall into this trap, which is on private a lot of times, uh, you can hunt these food sources and still do fairly well, right? Uh, mm-hmm. If you're not pressuring it too much, you can hunt over bean fields sometimes. You can hunt over these food plots and have deer come on daylight, even some of these more mature bucks uh, throughout the year, and not have to dive into deep cover so much, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But you then take that private land mentality and go to public land most of the time you're not going to see much right you might see some some does some small bucks you know some really immature year and a half old bucks might come out and you know they don't really know what's going on yet type thing but the two three and you know older bucks if they're around are not going to be doing that on public land um it's just a different ball game right and so no. i think depending on where you're at the priorities are different right um public land is definitely that cover how quickly would you say because um, i know you hunt a lot of public uh would you say that that shift happens in a hunting season so it's it's opening day is it how quickly in your experience does that shift happen uh, because, you know, I can go around in glass, which I'll start, you know, which I do in the summer, and mm-hmm. see these deer and some nice bucks boarding public or on public 
that are out in daylight feeding in these fields. And it's like, okay, yeah, they're coming out of these fields in daylight. So at some point that changes, how quickly do you feel that changes into the hunting season? It feels like it changes almost instantly. And it's probably after like the first Saturday <laughs> when the guys start hitting out there. Um, but yeah, like you said, you can scout through um, the early fall, late summer, and you're seeing these deer out in the fields. You see all the sign on the field edge. You might get excited to set up there and, and you do that. And the first weekend of the season, you don't see any deer and you start to get frustrated and, and wonder why after seeing all these deer preseason, you're setting up on all this sign and you don't see any deer. And, uh, and often that becomes um, sign that's made at night, especially on state land. And uh, for me, that was one of the, the big struggles I had um, as a younger hunter, hunting state land, um, not really knowing, you know, all that I was doing at that point in time um, and hunting both private and public. Um, you kind of have this mentality that you would sit on the field edge, the deer would come out in the field and, and you'd see them out in the fields. And I kind of also had this mentality that I wanted to sit somewhere where I could see a lot. And the edge of the field provided that. So you could yeah. sit on the edge, you could see a lot. And my thought process at the time was that if I could see them, then I could move and, and set up on them. Um, but then you end up not seeing anything. Um, then you're left scratching your head, wondering why I see all the sign, but I never see any deer. And then you start playing mind games with yourself as to why they're not here. And you kind of start to spiral downwards and, and get inside in your own head. And so... For me, uh, kind of a light bulb moment in my hunting public land was kind of when I started to understand that and realize what was going on. Um, and then that sign that I was seeing, even though it was fresh and there was a lot of it, it was all being made at night. And the deer were back farther off the edge in the thick cover and they weren't getting to the field till after dark. Um, after I had climbed down out of my tree stand and left. So, I, yeah, I guess as a, as a younger hunter, a newer hunter, I think that understanding, especially on, on, on uh, hunting public land, um, will go a long way in uh, increasing the number of deer you see and, and your odds of success. Yeah, I think by far, you know, cover, security, uh, deer feeling safe, is the number one thing. And so if on private land, if you can cultivate that safeness um, and they'll come out during daylight, great. But you have to really be careful to to create that environment, right? right. Uh, public land, you can't control all the other guys. And so pretty quickly, in my experiences, yeah, like within a few days, um, depending on the pocket, you know, like maybe there's a pocket that doesn't get hunted. So mm -hmm. the deer are kind of untouched, but Within a few days, those deer figure it out and they're not going out to those open areas, to those field edges, anything like that. And cover is the number one thing uh, that's important to them. And then food. And in Michigan here, they can usually get water about anywhere. So that's not a huge draw, like maybe where it is out west, uh, where there's less water and that's more of a uh, thing you can hunt over a little more easily. But... Um, cover and then food and that they can wait until dark to get the food mm -hmm. uh, especially if there's browse and things where they're bedding so they really don't have to do too much and so it's how do i get 
and I'm just trying to summarize what you're saying here. How do I get to where they're going to move in daylight? They still feel safe. I know they're going to go toward food probably, but how can I get close enough, but not too close to catch them? And that's going off needs and motivations of deer. Um, easier said than done, but I think the why is super important. That's a question that if I could say anything any to any hunter one thing, it is figuring out the why. Right? Why do Absolutely. deer why are deer doing what they're doing when I'm going out hunting or me predicting the why I'm gonna hunt a certain spot or not. And for me, one of the biggest things moving my younger days, I hunted a lot of private, and it was more of this attitude of hard work. You know, you're just going to hunt the same spots over and over and over again until you shoot something, uh, which is just way overpressuring certain areas. But it was private, and I didn't have a lot of options, right? So you mm-hmm. just, this stand or that stand, you just pick one and hunt, right? There's not a lot of yeah. reasoning involved. But then all of a sudden, you start hunting public land where you have almost unlimited options, it seems like. And you have to start thinking about the why. And that forces you to become a better hunter. And so figuring out the why deer are doing certain things or trying to predict that, why they will do certain things under certain conditions, and then why you are going to hunt somewhere or not is a huge key. Because if you can't do that uh, and ask yourself or ask your buddies, well, why are you going to hunt there tonight? If you can't answer that logically... Mm -hmm. then you need to do some thinking, right? You need to figure that out. And the more you can do that, the more success I think you'll have in general. Yeah, I completely agree. uh, I think often hunters kind of get lazy in that regard. You know, you get out to the woods and and maybe they haven't spent any time scouting, so they don't know. And they're just randomly picking a spot or they're going out there and looking for sign and setting up on the first thing they see. And there's not a whole lot of thought that goes into where they're going, why they're going there before they get out there. So, Nate, um, depending on time of year, that's another thing to discuss, you know, these different needs and motivations. Uh, As you go throughout the hunting season, you know, how do those change and how do you think or how would you say a hunter's strategy should change throughout the season because of that? Yeah, so I, I think in, in early season, deer are going to be more in this food-to-bed type pattern. Um, as you get into, you know, late October, early November, and the rut starts to kick in, um, you know, and the bucks are going to start chasing does. And so their their needs are changing, their mentality is changing, and so um, you have to adapt your strategy as a hunter to still put you, you know, in, in the zone to shoot a deer. So really, you know, when that time of year comes, um, I think the bedding is still an important key factor in that. You know, obviously, you know, where the does are bedding, the bucks are going to come cruising, trying to check does. Um, so they'll often be moving, you know, downwind of bedding areas. And so understanding that, you can set up in those locations, um, hoping to intercept the buck. Um, often will focus on, you know, travel routes, funnel areas, things that are going to, to, uh, you know, create pinch points for deer movement, um, and increase your chances of, of a deer that's cruising through an area coming through, um, your setup. Um, so really focusing on, on bedding 
you know, as well as travel areas, um, pinch points, things like that. Yeah. And understanding again, how their needs are shifting through the fall. And it's not like a, it's a gradual thing, right? It's gradually Mm -hmm. changing from this food centered thing to more breeding type thing. And you're going from maybe to where, you know, bucks are betting. So maybe toward the beginning of the year, I'm going to focus on where I think bucks are betting or where my intel I've gathered through glassing or trail cams have told me bucks are betting and staging and then moving to food and where I can intercept them on their own patterns. But at some point it it's changes over to, I'm going to start hunting the does now and where they're betting and moving because the bucks are going to be around them, you know? And so those are different things and it, shifts gradually through the fall and again you're looking at oh what are the needs and motivations of deer how are those changing and i'm predicting that to try to stay ahead of them right so as we wrap up here are some key high iq takeaways and challenges first analyze if your past or present hunting decisions can stand up under the scrutiny of the big question why second take a favorite hunting spot or two and see if you know the needs and motivations driving deer to frequent that area, and if you need to change anything about how, when, or where you hunt based on this analysis. And third, if you're getting value out of this, consider sharing with a buddy and following us on social media and YouTube. And I'll see you on the next episode where I'm going to be joined by whitetail expert Doug Roberts of Conquest Sense as we talk about training deer to actually do what you want them to do, yes, you heard me right. You won't want to miss that, and I'll see you then.